All right, good morning again. I feel like there is this huge chasm right here in the front rows. I'm going to know if there was a rumor that I spit when I talk or something, and you guys kind of just move back. I don't know. Hey, this morning before we get into the message, I would like to just tell you a little bit about what we do with our students at 412, a youth ministry of Hillcrest Chapel. Several years ago, our students renamed the ministry 412 is based off of 1 Timothy 412, which says, um, Do not let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, and your life, and your love, and your faith, and your purity. And that is what our students and what we challenge them to live up to, to not let people look down on them, but to set an example in all those areas of their life. And so that, for a number of years, has been why we are what we are. And, and we couldn't do that without an amazing group of people, youth leaders, who dedicate time. They lead small groups. They come to our youth services. They go on retreats. Uh, we had a middle school mission trip a couple weekends ago, and we had, I think, 16 leaders go, which was pretty cool. I was on a weekend, and they were able, almost all of them were able to go with us. It was great. We have these people that love your students. So if you're one of those leaders this morning, I'd just like you to stand up real quick, and we just want to say thank you to you. Um, there was more in first, but there's a few here today. <laughs> Grateful for you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So we are always in looking for new people. School year's wrapping up. People change, and we have people on our youth leadership team who are in, just barely in, out of college or in college in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, all age ranges. So it's not just a young person ministry to do. It's multi-generational. So you get to know students, you get to know their families, you get to know the people on the team. It's a great way to serve. And we're asking that just for you to pray with us or even to think about your next year. From September to June of next year, we're looking for some more youth leaders to jump on board with us. It's an incredible ministry to, and I learn a lot of the times more from the students than I think they learn from me. They are amazing, incredible, gifted, and we have the chance to be a part of their lives and to speak into it. And so we could use some more help. We have some transitions happening this at, in the summer. And so right now, at this point, specifics, we have a need for three gals to be leaders for high school girls. And we have the need for two gals to be leaders for middle school girls. So five leaders we don't have now for the fall that we could really use. Um, not to exclude guys, if you're a man or a guy in here and you feel called to do it, then you come and talk to me too, and we'll find a place for anybody to, to serve. But this is, uh, a lot of people are scared of student teenagers. They think they're scary, and sometimes they are. But they are, they are wonderful. Not these kids. They're amazing. And I would just ask that you would pray and ask God if, if he would call you to serve alongside us and me as we serve these students. All right, so if, you, if we haven't met before, my name's Dan, and I'm excited to share with you. For the last few weeks, we've had our missions emphasis, our faith promise emphasis at Hillcrest Chapel, and it's been incredible. I, I think through this, I've had a greater picture of what God is doing through this church in the world and in our own, in our own community. So there's a missions corps that meets once a month, and they help make decisions as far as who you know, what missionaries we support and how much. And, and they see, we, I send them people all the time that are going to different short-term missions opportunities. And they do their best to 
to facilitate that in the hearts of people that feel called to serve in ministry and missions. And so that core and, and Pastor Kathy Hill, I think they do a phenomenal job. And I was really inspired these last few weeks and just helped me to think, oh, wow, we're a part of a, a way bigger emphasis of mission in this world. So good job, you guys. We took a break from a series that we started in this spring called Prophets and Kings. And we're taking stories of the prophets and kings from the book of First Kings in the Old Testament and bringing them to life. And the text is very significant in the big picture of Scripture. Sometimes we focus a lot, it's easy to focus on New Testament, but it's really fun to go back. And the story that I was given today to share with you is one of my favorite of all time. And it's the story of Elijah the prophet versus the prophets of Baal. On, the, on Mount Carmel. It's the showdown of the ages, and it's one of my favorite stories. In fact, um, when I was just starting out in youth ministry years ago and was an intern, that was my first sermon ever was on, this, was on this scripture. So I love it, this story. And the big idea this morning I want to just throw out there to you is that God is a God of miracles, that he works in the lives of people. And this story specifically, he used a supernatural means to draw people back to him. If you're aware of the stories of the Old Testament, if you've done any study there, you realize that the people wanted a king. And when they were given kings, the king, someone lead them towards God and someone lead them away from God. Well, in this particular story, King Ahab, the king of Israel, has, is one who has been evil and led the people astray. Before I get into it, though, I'd like to tell you a story from my own life. When I was 19 years old, I was an intern with a new youth pastor at my church. And I was going, working full-time, going to, to community college, and I had sensed a call to ministry. And I, I had grown up in church when I was about 10 years old, and so I had, it had been a huge part of who I was. But I had some doubts and I had some questions about my own faith and who I was and trying to figure that out. Well, my, the youth pastor, who I was an intern for, he had 10 years previously helped start a church near Phoenix, Arizona. And so he invited me to go with him to, to uh, this, these celebration services that they were doing. So I thought, awesome. Take some time off from work. I will go to Arizona. It's hot there. I've never been there. That'll be fun. What I signed up for was church every night, like service after service, which wasn't too abnormal from where I've grown up, right? But one particular night, I remember... It was a prayer and healing night. That was the emphasis. And I was there, and I, like I said, I had some of my own doubts and concerns about my faith and, and what, you know, how real is God? Because I think we all have to go through that at some point, especially when you grow up in church. You need to ask questions. So I remember the night vividly. I was in this, ch- this church building with these services that were happening in this church, this little smaller church in Arizona, and this gentleman walked in the door. He was an older gentleman, and he had um, a limp. And I recognized it right away that he had polio as a kid, and that had affected his growth. And the reason I knew that was because my grandpa, when he was a kid, he had polio. So my whole life, and he's still, he's 90, still doing well, he, he had polio as a kid, was put in hospital, away from his family for months at a time, and that was the what happened with, this, with his legs is that one was shorter than the other, so he would have this limp. So I recognized this man, and I thought to myself, that's just like my grandpa. 
So that night, later in the service, we are, they're inviting people up for prayer, for, for miracles, for healing. And this gentleman, he went up to the front, sat down in a chair. And the pastors and the people that were there that were praying, they invited me to come over right front row and, and pray with this man, with this other people, with other people. So, okay, so I go up and I kneel down and we just gather around him and we start to pray for his healing. And this is where some of you might, I might lose you, but most of you hopefully not. I'm sitting there and before my eyes, I watch this man's leg grow to the same length of the other leg. And that night, he walked out of there without a limp. He walked out of there different than when he came in. And all those doubts and all those things in my heart where I was questioning, to me, it was like, God, you're real, you know? I needed that. In my life at that time, I needed something like that. And God does those things then, now, in the back, in, in the time of Elijah, as a testimony of his greatness to point people to him. So I'm wondering this morning, if, you know, I'd love if afterwards, if you have a cool, or any story of miracles, I'd love to hear it. I love hearing those. But if, if, there's, if you've seen that, experienced that, or if you're in need of one today, maybe there's something in your life. Maybe it's a relational thing, a, a marriage or a, or a family conflict, or maybe it has to do with work and, and finances, or it has to do with physical or something. I wonder if there's a miracle that you need this morning. And as we unpack this and later on, I want to give people a chance to, to come forward for prayer. So jump into the book of 1 Kings and this specific story today. It literally takes a supernatural act of God to try and turn the hearts of the people back to him. As I spoke of earlier, it was a pattern up and down. The people served God, the king served God, the king would have a son, that son would turn... Um, evil and lead them to other gods the people would follow back and forth and the last time we were in this series uh, carlo introduced us to the prophet elijah and how he had camped out with a widow and her son and there was a severe drought in the land which lasted about three years the king of israel as i said is ahab his wife jezebel which uh, is infamous queen evil queen of the old testament And Ahab followed in the pattern of many kings of Israel before. He led the people away from Yahweh, the God of Israel, to follow Baal. Baal was considered to be the storm god. And it's ironic, isn't it, that the storm god couldn't provide rain for his people, right, for three years. Ahab had a relationship, a friendship with another prophet of the Lord named Obadiah, which is a different one than the one that the book in the Old Testament is named after. Nobadiah was a follower of God. He was a little bit timid, but at one point there was a threat on the prophets of Israel, and so he hid a hundred of them in a cave. So he has a relationship with King Ahab, and they decide, come up with a plan, because there's drought, and the animals are, are dying. And so the plan was, let's, you go one way, and I'll go the other way in the, in the land, and we'll try to find some land that will be able to feed the animals so they won't die, the livestock. So they split ways. Well, Obadiah, on his way to search for land without, that wasn't affected by the drought, that could feed the animals, he runs into Elijah. And Elijah says to him, um, I want you to go tell King Ahab 
that Elijah the prophet is here. Challenge. And so he does. And with fear for his life, Obadiah, he goes back to King Ahab and says, found him. Found Elijah, your enemy. And so there is a showdown that happens. Finally, Elijah the prophet, Ahab the evil king, meet up. And he says to Elijah, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah's response was, I'm not the troublemaker. You are. You've abandoned the Lord and led his people astray. Which sets the table for the battle of the ages. King Ahab gathers 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And the people of Israel were invited to come along and witness a great showdown on Mount Carmel. They would then decide which God they would follow. And this was a showdown between the kingdom of the Lord and the kingdom of darkness. It would be demonstrated right before their eyes. Elijah is called here to do more than prophecy. He has to wage a spiritual battle. And what should have been the job of the king, Elijah the prophet has to carry out against the king. So 1 Kings chapter 18, we're starting in verse 20. This is what, we'll just read this story together. It takes a little bit, but it's worth it, promise. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer with the word. They were silent. How long are you going to limp between both opinions? Make up your mind. Decide. Is he real or is he not? Verse 22 says, Then Elijah the prophet said to the people, I, I, on, I, even, I only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, on an altar, but don't put any fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Deal. Elijah said, I am alone a prophet of the Lord. There were other prophets at the time, but in this moment he was chosen to stand before all the people of Israel, plus these prophets of Baal plus King Ahab, to pick up, make a t- public stand. Elijah's strategy is to underscore the well overwhelming odds against him. 1 verses 450. Here's the challenge. You build your altar, we cry out to our, go- our gods. Whichever God answers is the true God. And all the people said, okay, deal. So in both uh, the books of Leviticus and Numbers, the Old Testament, Yahweh is alluded to as a God, a true God of fire. And the followers of Baal thought of him as a god who could control fire. Couldn't control the rain, and as we find out, can't control the fire either. The question here is, who is right? So then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your god, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the the altar that they had made. 
450 prophets crying out all morning long for their God to send fire down from heaven. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed from their bodies. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation, the evening offering. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. Elijah has a little bit of fun. He said, is your God on vacation? Is he, did he fall asleep in his easy chair? Um, is he reading a magazine in the bathroom and taking too long? Is he too busy for you? Where is your God? And they begin to cut themselves and try to manipulate Baal into responding. Can you imagine that picture? Gruesome. Would not be allowed to be on the news, right? It would be disgusting. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 30 says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. The true, the altar of the God where sacrifices to the God of Israel had been made had been destroyed. And Elijah restores it. He took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around, about around the altar as great as would hold two seas of flour or of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bowl in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And he, then he said, fill four jars of water and pour it out on the burnt offering and on the wood. So they did. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water around the altar filled the trench with water. I don't know how they came up with this much water in a drought, right? But they did. He takes the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He is rebuilding the altar. He's reestablishing God as the God of Israel, the one true God. And not only did he rebuild the altar, and not only did he put a bull on it, but he's like, drench it, because I want this to be big. So he placed a bull on the altar, had these water jugs filled and poured all over it so that the trench, and they you know, estimate the trench could hold like three gallons of water. So that's the, this is what's happening. And verse uh, 36, it says, At the time of the offering, of the oblation, the evening offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Now, can you imagine this moment? This is where the rubber meets the road. After all the mocking of the prophets of Baal, after standing on his own before all the people, this is the moment where he's had faith to this point, but beyond this point, his faith can't take him any further. The answer is up to God and how he responds. Will he answer? Will this be another defining moment in the history of Israel? Will the people be shown once and for all who the true God of Israel is? Or will he just stand there humiliated so they wait? 
And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed that burnt offering. And the wood and the stones and the dust too. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. In one foul swoop, God answers in a big way. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and worship of the true God. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Verse 40 says, And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Another gruesome scene, but those prophets who had led God's people astray were punished with death. What happens next in the story is that Elijah is right, that God promised to bring water back, and he did. He brought the rain, and the flood was over. It's an awesome story, talking about God's will and testing our faith. And the question I had to come up with this week was, well, how do we take a story from a few thousand years ago and apply that to us today? So here's the big idea I'd like to unpack just for a few moments. That God uses miracles as a testimony of his greatness to point people to Jesus. Our job is to have faith. Our job is to pray and believe. The answer and the timing is up to him. In the old covenant, in the old way of doing things, the people of Israel all the time needed a prophet like Elijah to stand up on their behalf when the king wouldn't do it. They also needed a priest to be their go-between, between them and the holy God. In the new covenant, and the new way of things, Jesus became that prophet. He became a priest and he became a king. And like Elijah of old, Jesus stood alone versus the power of Satan, the powers of darkness. He stood against the religious leaders of the time who had led people astray. And he demonstrated over and over and over again the supernatural power and miracles of God. He could have called down fire from heaven, just like Elijah. He could have done many things, but what he did was he died a painful death on that cross and then rose again to conquer sin and death. And he did this in order to reconcile a broken humanity with a loving and just God. The miracle of salvation. We believe that God is a God of miracles, even this day. And when people begin to talk about that, there's a bunch of questions that can flood our minds. Do they still happen? How come I've never seen one? Why do they happen in other places, apparently, in other countries? Believe that the main reason that God does miracles is to point people to him. He used it to turn the hearts of Israel back to him. It is a testimony of his greatness. And whether it be fire from, uh, whether it be fire from heaven or whether it be seeing a man's leg grow, um, we believe that God works in miracles to this day. In our current church culture, let's say in America, and this is part of you know, where I grew up too, there's a, two conflicting viewpoints often that come out when you talk about faith and you talk about miracles. There's something called faith healing or faith miracles, and then there's divine healing and divine miracles. And often misunderstandings and misinterpretations of this keeps people from having faith or believing in God's power, or it causes hurt. So I'd like to just briefly share an example of each one. Faith miracles are dangerous. And it says that if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith that puts it on you, then God will answer. 
It often looks inwardly to human potential or outwardly to some person. It often glorifies a person operating at the center of that miracle. So in my story earlier, well, I pray for people when their legs grow. You know, like you, begin, you can easily take it from giving honor to God to putting things on you. It says that if God doesn't answer, then there's probably something wrong with you. You're too sinful or you don't have enough faith that you can manipulate God if you're strong enough. And this is not what we believe. And a lot of people have been hurt by that line of thinking. But where we stand and what we believe is the divine miracles of God, which focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. It recognizes that all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And if we were stars in an old western, we'd be wearing the black hats. Jesus is the only one that would be wearing the white hat. Divine miracles are ministered by the power of the Holy Spirit and grounded in God's word. Divine miracles say that faith is our responsibility, that we believe, we pray, we hold on to faith. But the result, the answer, is up to God. Elijah brought it to that point. He did what he was supposed to do, and then he had to wait, and he had to see how God would respond to it. Sometimes when we pray, God answers in a number of ways. Sometimes he says, yes. Sometimes he answers with no. And maybe that's because you're asking, it's the wrong direction. He knows what's better for us. And sometimes he answers with later. Elijah stood up and believed in the power of Yahweh to respond with fire, to show the people who the one true God was. It was a testimony of his greatness. And we believe today in the power of Jesus to do divine miracles, to heal the sick and afflicted, to point people to him. That his power is as consistent and available today as it was in his own earthly ministry when he was here on earth. And that through the cross, he has provided the grounds for us to expect and receive healing and deliverance, just like we receive forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation. And again, the reason for this is to point people to him, a testimony of his greatness. So I wrap up this morning, I'd like to share with you another story. A couple of years ago, we took our middle school students on a short missions trip. We do short ones for middle school because of, I mean, leaders need sleep, and uh, they don't sleep much. So we, we do short trips for them. And we went to Seattle, worked with the Union Gospel Mission. And one of the places the mission sent us to work is a place called Redeeming Souls. And the ministry was started by a gentleman named Scott Sowell, who, um, who, was, who had been a professional bicycle rider. And through addiction, through struggles in his life, he ended up on the streets homeless and said even at one point he was living in a cardboard box behind the very building of one of his sponsors that he had re- previously ridden for. So he, in his travels and in his, he ended up in Seattle, he ended up at the Union Gospel Mission, and quickly learned that there are a lot of clothes available for people that are homeless, but not so many shoes. And at times, they have, all they would have to give them in the wintertime would just be flip-flops. Or they take flip-flops and, you know, wrap them in duct tape or something to make a bit more, better, warm, warm shoe for their feet. So he had had his life turned around by God, a miracle in itself, and then started this ministry. And at the time that we were there, there were, uh, they had given away 10,000 
pairs of shoes in the Puget Sound area. And so what we did that night for hours is we went there, we had table bins of shoes, hundreds of pairs. We would clean the shoes and then put them in a place where then they could redistribute them. Some were so bad that we couldn't restore them. But that's what we did. We spent hours scrubbing shoes. That's a great missions trip experience right there, right, for, for students to learn how to serve. And they did that. Well, when we got there, Scott, this ministry leader, he, had, um, he was walking around with some of those arm crutches where, where they have the little cuff on them. He had, a few days before, been in a serious bike accident, hurt his back. He was in tremendous pain. And he's walking around like this. And it was painful to watch him get around. It was crazy. And I kept saying, maybe you should just sit down. <laughs> well, you know, we know what you're doing. You told us, we'll, we'll just do it. Because every time they moved from anywhere, I, it made me cringe how much pain this guy ha- had been in. And in that moment, in that time, I had, you know, truly after we got in there, I felt like God was saying to me, you know, at, you, at some point, you should gather everybody and pray. And I also had a, a leader mom there, Olga, who was there that night too. And she came to me and she said, Dan, I think we need to pray for him before we go. And I said, I feel the same way. So at the end of that night, we gathered all the students around him. He was sitting in a chair. He was in a tremendous amount of pain. And we just prayed that God would do something for him, that God would touch his back, that he would heal him. And we prayed, and nothing happened. I thought, how cool would that be, God, to show these students, you know, that this, that, that sometimes he works in different ways than we think he should, right? So about an hour later, I'm dry, we're, we're back at the church we were staying, and I get a text message from Scott, and he, I, I saved, I still have it. I found it the other day, and this is what he said to me. He said, miracles, I believe. After nearly three days of sheer pain and the hardest efforts to walk since my crawling years, I now have laid down the poles, can straighten up, and the pain is quickly subsiding. I don't think I need to say any more. She just seen the look on the faces of the students when I told them that. I wish it would have happened right in front of us, but he texted me later and he said, my pain is gone. I threw down those crutches and I'm walking. And it was an amazing testimony of God's power and his miracles. So to finish up this morning, we believe that God is still a God of miracles today. That he uses miracles as a testimony of his greatness to point people to him. Our response is to pray, to believe, to have faith. His response, his answer, his timing, we trust him with that. So as I said earlier, I wonder if this morning, if any of you here are in need of some sort of miracle in your life. And I'd like to invite the worship team to come on out. Maybe it's a relationship one, a family member that, that's struggling, a, lost, a, a child who's wandered away from the Lord. Maybe it's a marriage or it's family conflict or something like that. Maybe it's a job, needing of a job or finances. Maybe it's a physical healing, something. But we believe, if, if we take this scripture and we believe what, what he says, that God cares about those things in our life. And he wants us to bring those things to him. And then we believe and we, have pr- we, we pray and we have faith that he answers in the way that he, that he will. For some of this morning, 
the, your miracle that you may need is the miracle of salvation. To accept Jesus' free gift of grace. Like I pointed out earlier, Jesus stood against the forces of evil and darkness to take the sins of the world upon himself. His death on a cross, his resurrection from the dead, he became a bridge between man and the one true God. Salvation is a miracle. And so someone, there may be some here today that you haven't yet made that decision. You haven't been all in yet. And if that's the case, you have not received his gift of grace and forgiveness for sin, which is based on him, again, not on our, not how good we are, not on how smart we are, not how much we know about the Bible, not on how, how, um, how we are good with deeds outweigh our bad ones. It's gift of grace. So if you have not made that decision, then as a little bit later when we have the prayer teams come up, then that would be, that would be your to say to them, I would like prayer to receive Jesus. For others this morning, you may be in need of some sort of miracle in your life. Maybe it's a physical one or a relational one, or as I said, a job, finances, whatever. No matter what it is, will you trust him? Will you believe and have faith? The purpose is to point people to Jesus. That was the purpose with Elijah and on that mountain. And that's what the purpose is for today. No matter what that is, if you have a need that you'd like us to pray for, in a little bit, we're going to have our prayer teams come up. We're going to have students and youth leaders and other staff or other, anybody that wants that's prepared to come and, and pray. We'd love to pray with you, stand with you, pray with you for whatever it is in your life that we can pray for. For those that don't come for it, we're just going to have some time of worship. And I'm going to invite you to, to stand as I pray, as we sing some songs, as we worship. And, and if you would like prayer, please come forward and let us, let us pray with you. Let us stand before you and before God. Our responsibility is to believe and have faith and to trust him that he answers in the way he will. His kingdom come and his will be done. So would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Dear Lord, I am grateful that we can learn from Elijah, a, he, a hero in many ways, um, of who stood in the gap on behalf of the people that were lost. And you used his, him and you chose to work through that situation to show the people, who knows how many thousands of people witnessed that moment, Turn their hearts back to you. We believe that you are a God who works in, in this day too. That when we bring our prayers and petitions, requests, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. You're, you are a God of healing, you're a God of provision, you're a God of miracles. And so whatever we bring, I pray, God, that you would meet us in this place this morning. That your presence would be here in a strong way. And for those that would like prayer, that they would, that as we stand together, that we would, in essence, say to you, your kingdom come, your will be done. We come to you in faith and prayer. And ask that you would, through this next few the worship time, that we'd worship with our whole heart, that we'd, if we want prayer, that we would respond, step out. We give it to you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.